Greetings, cinephiles. Are you looking for a movie analysis podcast that stands above the rest? Then look no further than Collateral Cinema, the only movie podcast that matters. We analyze good movies, we analyze bad movies, and yes, we also analyze the in-betweens of the world of cinema. So if you like what you hear, find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And yes, my friends, we are 420 friendly. So when you listen to us, smoke smoke it it if you've got got it. it. And now... Here's a new episode of Collateral Gaming. The show starts right now. I'm Ashley Chancellor, and this is Collateral Gaming. Welcome to Collateral Gaming, the only video game podcast that matters where we focus on good games, bad games, and everything else in between in the world of gaming. I am podcasting straight from Houston, Texas. And yes, my friends, this is a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, be it bongs, blunts, or joints, smoke it if you've got it. Um, I'm actually enjoying some uh, Delta 8 flower myself. Or I say enjoying... uh, uh, My plugs won't get back to me, so I can't get real weed right now. Um, and this shit, I don't know. It just, it's just not the same. But it does the trick. But, man, it makes you cough. Anywho, uh, this is going to be another solo episode. It's been a while since we've done one of these. Uh, over the past season, I've managed to get somebody, not least of all Bo, on a lot of episodes that would have been solo episodes. Um, and he ended up becoming a full-time member. Uh, And we've even had guests uh, on uh, a couple of those episodes that it would have been the same thing. So uh, really, really happy for the support on that. Uh, Unfortunately, nobody uh, in our uh, regular lineup has played these two games uh, that we're talking about. Now, that's part of the reason why this episode is so late. Uh, And I even reached out on social media to see if I could get a guest. And I was really surprised that nobody bought, you know, nobody, uh, nobody bit, bought, (laughs) bit. Um, especially like Final Fantasy 16. I mean, this is this is the game that's generated a lot of buzz. A lot of people have been talking about it. I'm surprised that I haven't had anybody who was willing to talk about it. Um, and Gov's Trick, I mean, that's kind of a niche thing. But, you know, you'd think that somebody would have thought, hey, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. Maybe I'll try to try that out or something. But, nope. So here we are, solo episode. Um, in the interest of the fact that uh, we're kind of late on both of these games for a spoiler-free game launch review. Um, we're combining them together, which is interesting because on Collateral Cinema, we're planning on doing a uh, double feature with Oppenheimer and Barbie, the uh, the Barbieheimer episode. So kind of cool that we are jamming these two games together. I think it works, um, especially since this is going to be a solo episode. So yeah, we are going to be talking about Final Fantasy 16, and we are going to be talking about the recent Ghost Trick remaster. Um, I will keep uh, spoilers for both games out of this review. Um, Final Fantasy 16 has been out for, I think, over a month now, uh, and Ghost Trick uh, is getting close to that. It came out about a week later. So, um, you know, there's certainly been enough time, but even so, uh, in the interest of brevity, we'll, we'll, we'll keep it uh, short for each game and allow people to check out both, especially with a game like Ghost Trick. I mean, it being a remaster... Um, from a game from uh, 
uh, over 10 years ago. Uh, it, it's certainly uh, doesn't necessarily need to be spoiler free, but uh, I don't feel like I feel like it's very it's a very niche game that not a lot of people have played. So and same thing with Final Fantasy 16. I imagine that there's quite a bit of people who have seen it. You know, maybe even Final Fantasy Final Fantasy fans who um, maybe they're more into like the traditional turn-based games and just haven't really decided whether they want to give this a shot. So uh, if you fit into one of those two camps uh, and uh, into either one of those or both of those camps, and uh, you would like to uh, to hear uh, spoiler-free thoughts on both Final Fantasy 16 and Ghost Trick, uh, then uh, Phantom Detective, uh, Ghost Trick Phantom Detective is the full title. Um, then, uh, you're in the right place. We're going to be talking about, or I'm going to be talking about both of those games, starting with Final Fantasy 16. Uh, and rest assured, if you haven't played all the way through the game, it's okay. Um, both games also do feature demos, both of which will carry your save progress over uh, into the main game should you decide to purchase it. So if uh, you wanted to hear my thoughts on these and you were on the fence, uh, both of these games do have demos, so and I, I recommend checking them both out. Um, and uh, even if you're somebody that has played one or both of these games, uh, and maybe you just wanted to hear the collateral gaming spin on it, here we are. So uh, let's kind of let's just dive right into it. No more bullshit. Um, I don't want to spend too long on this episode, probably. Um, so yeah, let's jump into Final Fantasy 16. So I'm actually pretty new to the Final Fantasy uh, franchise. I, really, the first games that I actually played and, uh, were Final Fantasy VII and its remake. I say its remake. It's called Final Fantasy VII Remake, but it's, it's, it's really more of a soft reboot slash sequel. Um, definitely uh, we, something we've, we've touched on before. But anyway... Uh, those were the first games that I played, and I've jumped into a little bit of uh, Final Fantasy IX, Final Fantasy XV. Uh, preparation for this re review, I even found uh, Final Fantasy XII was on the PlayStation Plus library, so I, I played a little bit of that, and which was interesting because this is one of the games I think that people might recommend since um, it's similar in tone uh, and even somewhat in gameplay mechanics. But uh, this game is being touted as the first fully fleshed action RPG in the Final Fantasy mainline series. Um, which, which I guess is true, um, that, that just completely leaned into it. Because thinking about it, um, Final Fantasy VII Remake, which is one that I play, and Final Fantasy VII XV are both, are both real-time action RPGs to an extent, um, but they have kind of hybrid systems, especially VII Remake, uh, with its, uh, you know, just kind of hybrid between the original ATB system and, and real-time action RPG mechanics. Um, and then XV kind of has that, like, pause mode, um, I, I guess that's what that's what they're referring to when they say it's the first like fully fleshed. And then of course we have what eleven and fourteen, which were uh, MMOs, um, which I also imagine are real time action RPG based. But but this one I think is special because um, there are no uh, there, it's not there, there are no menus. You don't navigate menus in combat. It, it's fully leaning into uh, being uh, an action game first and foremost. Um, with RPG mechanics. And, and that being said, though, it is still very much an RPG. And some people have been complaining about that. So I guess let's get that out of the way first. Um, yes, this is not a traditional turn-based RPG. And uh, I suspect that Final Fantasy is moving away from that direction. Uh, obviously, there are still spinoffs. 
Another titles in the series, hell, they Square Enix is still releasing turn-based RPGs. So if, if you need your fix for that, those games still exist. And I think it's kind of silly to complain about it when, I mean, we do have plenty of them. But yeah, as far as like our, our numbered Final Fantasy entries go, uh, obviously this is the direction they're going in right now. And that makes sense in a modern context um, that we would be moving towards uh, real-time action RPG uh, gameplay mechanics. So, and this one uh, also had uh, quite a bit of um, work on the combat system done uh, by uh, people that worked on the Devil May Cry series. So, and has actually been often compared to it. Now, I haven't played very much, at, if any at all. Actually, I don't think I've played any <laughs> Devil May Cry at all. Um, so, uh, but I have played God of War, which Devil May Cry was considered uh, originally uh, a uh, God of War clone uh, prior to uh, becoming its own thing. I, I will say that this game's combat does remind me uh, quite a bit of the recent God of War entries, which are which the ones that I've really actually spent a lot of time on. I haven't really played that far into the, the classic games. Um, but this does remind me a lot of, of the two most recent God of War games, which are fantastic games. So that's a good comparison from me. Um, and again, as somebody who hasn't played very much Final Fantasy, uh, I feel like I have kind of a unique perspective here, as I've kind of you know cherry picked uh, entries in the series. And and obviously, like I would love to play some more, um, and and uh, really 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 get into it. But uh, as as far as the combat goes, I do feel like it's very fluid. I really enjoyed it. Um, all the way throughout. By the way, I did complete this game, so I'm not going to be getting into spoilers, but I did finish the video game um, all the way to the end, uh, at least my first playthrough. I haven't done the Final Fantasy mode slash New Game Plus yet, um, and uh, I did damn near get 100%, but I did not 100% complete or get all trophies, which for a game launch review is appropriate, but I will put it out there that I completed the main story um, got to level 48, which is just two levels short of the initial level cap of 50 during your first playthrough. That gets extended to uh, 100 in New Game Plus. Uh, and I played it on the uh, medium difficulty setting. I, I think it's called action-focused. Anyway, I, I think there were just the two that were offered to me. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it, as far as like an action game goes, it's really good. The combat is actually really where this game shines. Um, being able to pull off all of these combos and just kind of chain them together. Um, th there's just a lot of, um, there's a lot of fun with it. And grinding is actually, like, there's plenty of opportunity for grinding in this game. Although I will say I never felt like I had to. Uh, during my course of the game, um, I barely, if ever, grinded at all. Um, I just kind of played through. Um, but I was co uh, completing all the side quests as we went on. More on the side quests here in a bit, I think, because I do have quite a bit to talk about there. But, um, you know, yeah, I mean, the game feels very epic. Uh, the boss battles, especially the icon battles, which we're definitely going to talk about, <laughs> are fantastic. But every little encounter in this game, every little skirmish to me, every hunt on the hunt board was immensely satisfying. I just, I just loved running into enemies. And I feel like this game really does rely on the combat. And, and that's really kind of the core gameplay experience here is the combat. And, and which I guess is as it should be in a Final Fantasy game, right? Um, you do only have one party member and that's Clive. So there are one controllable party member, I should say. There are other party members, but they're AI controlled. And uh, to be honest, I didn't really notice their presence a whole lot. But it was nice that sometimes like I'd go on to like finish an enemy and like, you know, 
the other party members would, uh, would, would take care of it for me. Not least of which your dog, Torgal, who is best boy. He, he, is, he, he is a really, really good boy, um, even if uh, his presence is, is, could, could be kind of ignored in combat <laughs> to some extent. Um, but yeah, so the main experience of the game, and I think where you're going to get your Final Fantasy fix of, of being able to try out um, different uh, styles of combat is going to be with switching between icons. Because one of the big b features of this game is the fact that Clive, uh, yes, his name is Clive. <laughs> and you know what? The game actually makes a reference to that uh, joke. I don't know if that was after they added that in after some of the initial um, feedback, but... <laughs> Yeah, that is that is touched on. Um, but yeah, the whole ability, Clive has the ability to uh, use the power of uh, all of the different icons. So icons in this game are, are what they call the summons of, of previous Final Fantasy games. And it's your, your typical roster. Uh, Afrit, Phoenix, Shiva, Titan, Bahamut, Odin, uh, and uh, Garuda. Uh, I think that's all. Ramu, of course, as well. Yeah, I think, I think that's all of them. Um, so, and they all represent a specific element um, which is in line with uh, their their previous entries although I think like Bahamut's technically a non-elemental and they had him be like the uh, the light element and Odin represents darkness um, but anyway the uh, the icons is kind of where you're gonna get some of that other um, the, the is where you're gonna feel I guess, the equivalent of having multiple party members with different skill sets. Uh, and the fact that as you acquire more icons that you can use in battle, uh, you know, in their abilities, um, it's going to, as you acquire more of them, you're just going to be more um, variety with your combos. And you're going to find different play styles that work. Because each, um, the, the core mechanics are the same. I mean, and a lot of the game relies on the age-old dodge and parry systems but um, the icons kind of, they, 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 each icon not only has a, like a dedicated face button ability, uh, which on the PS5 is mapped to the circle button, um, but they also do have special abilities, which you can unlock, learn, and even master and map. Um, and, uh, you know, you can only hold two abilities at one time per icon, but you can hold up to three icons. And so as you acquire more, you're going to find which ones you like better and which ones are going to be better for different situations. And so you can kind of uh, pick your, your, um, your roster that way. And with, with each icon representing a different element, um, you can kind of see that in practice. I, I think one disappointment I'm going to go, I'm going to go ahead and out and say though, is that I felt like um, the idea of like, like there's no status effects really to speak of here. Um, and there is no like elemental uh, weaknesses or anything like that. So uh, <laughs> the fact that the icons represent different elements does feel a little bit uh, super superfluous because you don't actually really have, there's not really any tangible effects of that. Um, any icon of any element is going to be effective against any enemy. And, and I didn't notice any like status effects like freezing or burning as you would expect. Um, which is really interesting because uh, you have access to magic in this game, which is mapped to the triangle button, and uh, each spell is actually named after the spells. You know, you have fire, of, you know, fire, fire, fireaga, thunder, um, through uh, uh, and uh, arrow uh, <laughs> through eraga. So it's like um, they're, they're there, but they don't really feel like they're any different. They're all just different magic. Abilities that, that basically do the same thing. Um, 
Although I think the benefit of that is that, like, since the game doesn't let you switch icons mid-battle, I guess it's designed to where no matter which icons that you have equipped, they're going to be effective in a situation. And the fact that you can quickly cycle between them and use their special moves, I think that's where it really feels the most God of War-esque to me. Um, is important. Obviously, you are going to be leveling up, uh, gaining experience and leveling up, which is, of course, the most important um, facet of an RPG game. And um, what makes, for instance, this game an RPG, but God of War not, right? This is actually where it still is a, a, an RPG. It's just a real-time action RPG, and there's been plenty of those for quite some time. Um, Stat-based progression is still a thing, um, and uh, as you level up, you also gain ability points, which you can use to uh, learn and improve your abilities. So, uh, and, and what's really cool is that I think where, where it feels like God of War to me is like, is that you're kind of just cycling through your different icons where God of War would be like your different weapons and just using each of your special moves. So there gets to a point where you can just kind of chain together these special moves and just continually use them. Um, and there's even like gear uh, uh, that will uh, significantly reduce cooldown cool down times or improve uh, the effectiveness of those abilities, which is nice. Um, so Clive is a character who was born to uh, a family where he was expected to be the dominant of fire. So in this game, every icon, and by the way, the icons, although they're inspired by summons, are not summons in this game. Uh, the people who play, you control these icons actually directly uh, transform into them. Uh, and Clive, of course, uses all of their abilities, which is something that's unique to him. Not anybody can just use other icon abilities. Obviously not going to get into spoilers or why he can do it, but he has this unique ability apparently to absorb the essences of other icons, um, which is central to uh, the story. But uh, Clive was expected to... So, so each icon has a dominant at any time. Um, Phoenix having the dominant of fire, Titan having the dominant of earth. Uh, Shiva having the dominant of ice, and so on, uh, and only one at any given time. So his brother, his little brother, is actually was gifted uh, with uh, being the dominant of the phoenix, and he is not. However, he was given the blessing of the phoenix by his brother, and so was imbued with its magic. And so that's the first icon that you have is the phoenix and its fire abilities, and that's because he was directly blessed with it. Uh, Final Fantasy 16 takes place in a world where most people cannot use magic. They have to rely on, hey, it's a Final Fantasy game, crystals. Um, but there are a select few number of people who are born with the ability to use magic without crystals, and they're referred to as bearers. Um, and actually, they're treated like slaves and are um, branded and called branded uh, by the populace. And um, the whole big portion of the story is actually about the mistreatment of these people. Um, Clive is kind of a kind of weird because he's not born as a dominant, and he's not actually a bearer. Um, he was gifted magic, um, but there is a little bit more to him because he can also absorb the essences of other icons. And there's a whole lot of lore uh, behind this game, um, and it's really handy. I think one of the most handy bits about this game is that at any point during a cutscene or even during gameplay, um, you can hold down the touchpad button and. Uh, a little screen will pop up, and I think they call it Active Time Lore. It'll actually give you information about characters and locations um, applicable to where you're at in the story. Um, and there are even NPCs in the game, lore masters that you can go to, who um, will hold all of these entries, uh, like Harpocrates or Vivian Ninetales, um, who can uh, 
uh, show you all these entries or in Vivian's case show you the relationships between these characters and, and locations in the game. It's really handy that at any time at the press of a button though that you can access this information because a lot of times I found that like I might have zoned out or might have forgotten because there's so much going on with this story. Um, a lot of people have compared it to Game of Thrones and while I haven't watched very much of that show I can tell you that it is, I, I do see the similarities. It's kind of that dark fantasy. It's also probably the most mature Final Fantasy game we've ever had. Um, I, I believe this is the first uh, mainline game to actually have an M rating, uh, and it's definitely earned. So this, this game really does heavily lean into that, and it, there's a lot of um, political intrigue. The, 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 game is, it, the game story is very, very political, from the treatment of bearers to uh, relationships between these nations. Um, and each of these nations has a mother crystal. And the mother crystals, again, the crystals are, are the source of the crystals that people use um, and are these big... Uh, sources of power and, and like all of these lands fight over uh, possession of these mother crystals. And so you have the Duchy of Rosario where Clive and his family are from and then you have the, um, you have the, uh, the Iron Kingdom uh, and you have the uh, Holy Empire of Sambrek and you have uh, Dalmechia. And so there's all these different little areas across these, these two um, islands that form this continent of Valisthea, uh, referred to as the Twins. Um, and, just, and there's also the Kingdom of Walud, which is in the, uh, the, other, the other island. Everything else is on one, and, and that specific kingdom is on the other. Um, so they're all fighting over possession of these mother crystals, as well as the dominance. Um, each of these lands seems to uh, have some kind of tie, uh, or most of them do, to a dominant. Uh, there are some like neutral states, like um, the Free Cities of Canver uh, and the Crystalline Dominion, which is, um, you know, I guess kind of a Switzerland, and it's kind of like a, a, a gateway between both of those two uh, um, continents, which is cool. But yeah, mo most of these continents each possess a dominant, and so that's kind of a big deal. And, and each area actually treats its dominance differently. Uh, the dominant of fire, the phoenix, is um, treated with respect, and he they always come from um, the royal line. And so not only are they nobility, but they're greatly respected. Um, but on the other hand, you have um, the, the Iron Kingdom, where... Uh, the dominant of ice, Shiva, is actually treated with contempt and used solely as a weapon. And, and while um, that dominant is necessary for, um, you know, is integral to that country's power, um, they're treated as subhuman, um, the same way that the branded, the, the bearers are treated actually across the continent. So um, there's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, but the main thing is that each, each country or each dominant, you know, represents an icon and has the ability to transform into that icon. So uh, the big spectacles, the big moments of this game are the boss battles against all of the icons. And yes, you do get to fight all of them, um, at least in some capacity. And you do get to play as some of them, specifically the Phoenix and Ifrit. I don't feel like that's too much of a spoiler. <laughs> There's some information about this game that I think actually was well known. So, but playing through the game, it doesn't immediately tell you all this. So I do still kind of want to leave some of that um, up to players. Um, but I will tell you that you get to play specifically as those two uh, icons, possibly more. Um, and you do get to fight against all of, all of the icons in some capacity. And these are honestly the best parts of the game. I mean, the... the uh, the soundtrack swells at these moments. By the way, the soundtrack is fantastic. 
um, not least of which during these icon battle moments, which are just so cool. You just really, really, really epic. Um, the, the, the soundtrack behind this game was incredible. Um, I believe the, uh, the soundtrack comes from the same guy who did Final Fantasy XIV, which is interesting because uh, Yoshi P., um, who was also behind Final Fantasy XIV, was the uh, director of this game. And so uh, I, I've heard a lot of people say that this is very similar in terms of both gameplay and story to Final Fantasy XIV, but also um, kind of combining aspects with games like Devil May Cry, God of War, um, and action RPGs. And of course, you mean, you're going to have your typical Final Fantasy elements like Chocobos um, and uh, crystals and magic, so, and Moogles. Yes, there is a Moogle. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the, the icon, like iconic battles, I think are honestly the best part of the game. Like by far and large. Uh, just so, so awesome. My only complaint is that some of these parts of the game actually did feel um, a little bit on the rails. And, and sometimes that, that's good. I mean, some of the on the rails segments were fun. But then, you know, you kind of get into parts of the battles that were just like QTEs. Not bad QTEs, but, and I've never really hated QTEs, but I can kind of see where, like, there, there were points where I felt kind of cheated out of an experience. Like, I, I felt cheated out of being able to fight or against an icon or play as one because uh, a significant part of that battle was QTE, you know? And I'm like, just let me play it. <laughs> or sometimes literally just a cutscene. Um, so, so there wasn't was any complaints, but, I mean, just, just uh, the immense satisfaction that you feel playing these battles is earned, and usually getting to them, you know, is an endeavor in its own right. Um, in order to to play through, to, you know, to get to uh, each of these icon battles, you normally have to fight the dominant one on one, you know, and and not pull out uh, the icon powers right away. So, w w which is really really cool. Um, again, there's just so many different abilities to try out. Um, you know, at any point you're able to fight using melee combat. Uh, you can shoot a spell. Each icon has a specific um, like special ability, like the Phoenix, for instance, um, has its iconic feat of the Phoenix Shift, which is just a quick dash. Very, very useful and important one that you may want to keep um, on hand. Um, Garuda, which is the second icon you get, has a has a, a grapple mechanic which allows you to pull enemies towards you, and, and you know, and then you get like Ramu, who allows you to kind of slow down time for a little bit and shoot projectiles. Um, Titan, who comes with a block mechanic, um, which works with the game's dodge and parry system because um, you can really punish enemies if you if you know that if you got that timing down um, for for dodges and, and counters, um, you'll work really well with with Titans. Um, uh, Iconic feat. Also Shiva, Shivas, I should say. So each one actually has a um, a unique mechanic center around them, and then obviously abilities that you can unlock, special um, uh, special attacks that uh, have different effects. Uh, and you know, as they cool down, as the they cool down, become available, and you can use them again, like God of War. Um, there is no MP, so like your magic spells are just in general just not that powerful. Um, although you can charge them, and there's even a gear, a piece of gear that I had equipped for most of the game, which will automatically charge your spells for you. And so, like, there's kind of several different play styles that you can work with, and icons that complement those play styles. And so you can kind of customize and use these, and, and you're really encouraged by the game to try out each of these different systems, which is nice. Um, and of course, like I said, you know, the story, fantastic. Uh, I will say the ending is left open to interpretation. I'm going to go ahead and say that much. Um, don't accept the immediate 
answer because I think a big part of the game is um, if you did go out of your way to complete all the side quests, um, there's a lot of Easter eggs uh, and foreshadowing that's built up that may change your opinion on what actually happens at the end. And it seems like one thing is, is very, ob very obviously happened, but then there's, a very, there's another possibility that if you really paid attention, um, could actually be the case. And I think I might be in the camp of that. On the topic of side quests, um, I guess another complaint is that not all of the side quests are good. Um, the consistency of the game was not always um, as, as fantastic. Um, and not least of which with the side quests. A lot of them are just fetch quests. Um, or all just, you know, just go here and fight this thing. I mean, the hunts are fun. You know, you go on a hunt and that's what you're expecting to do, to go fight somebody. It's going to be a difficult, um, like, like, you know, mini-boss battle. But... Some, some of the side quests were lacking, but I did play all of them. You know, as you get to each area of the game, you kind of, there's kind of this sense of, um, you know, let's go ahead and complete all the side quests we have now before we go on and get to the good part. Um, and some of the side quests are really good. There are some that hit these really fantastic, like, like just, just soul-gripping story beats, some that are horrifying or have fantastic character moments that are honestly really important to uh, the lore and, and even the central plot. Um, and then there are some that are just kind of like, eh. Um, but what's nice is that the side quests are, you can track up to three of them at one time, and they're all shown on the map. So, like, you can kind of just go and, and plan it out and, like, okay, I'm going to go to Dalmechia now and complete every side quest and hunt that I have here in this area. You know, now I'm going to go over to this area and I'm going to clear everything out. Uh, and so um, it, it, there is there's kind of this sense of progression. And I, and I did feel like completing the side quests in the end was worth it, um, even if the individual quest rewards weren't always great. Um, you know, the, the experience that you gained um, and, and getting to kind of, you know, see different parts of the world because the maps are really well done, even if there isn't a whole lot to do in them other than just collecting items and finding um, hunt or yeah, enemies that are, uh, are on the hunt board. <laughs> um, being able to actually kind of explore these places is nice because, I mean, and the graphics are great um, performance-wise. The game is, is runs pretty well. I think initially there were, there were some complaints about it. Um, not sure how much of that was was patched out. I will say my experience wasn't bad, although uh, I played the game in performance mode. Um, I don't know that the game actually maintains a consistent 60 frames per second, even on performance mode. But on my tiny ass TV screen, I don't know how <laughs> how much I, I would notice. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, and and I will I will say that the like the quality of uh, the cinematics isn't always consistent. Um, but during the major story beats of the game, 100%. Um, the pre-rendered cutscenes obviously look incredible. Um, and even some of the other parts, uh, so sometimes NPCs in like non-pre-rendered segments felt, you know, cutscenes felt a little stilted. Um, but it is what it is. I didn't feel like it really detracted too much from the experience, nor any of uh, the minor performance issues. Uh, that the game suffers from. Um, but, I mean, it looks good. It sounds good. It plays well. Very fluid. Combat um, is a lot of fun. And even though the some of the side quests are very fetch questy, um, none of them felt like they were too much of a chore. They're short and sweet. Um, and, uh, you know, I honestly recommend doing them as, as you unlock them. We, we, you know, and then... You know, for me, I got up to that level 48 just doing that. And I think there was one part of the game where at the end where I grinded a little bit to get those last few ability points so that I could um, master an ability. 
Uh, what's nice is that once you master an ability, so you, you learn it and then you upgrade it and then you master it, you can now map that to other icons. So you can have, you know, for instance, uh, you really like Garuda's iconic feet, but, you know, there's better abilities that you want to keep on your, uh, on, your, on your roster. Then you can do that. Um, if you want to get Bahamut's Gigaflare, I mean, I think that might be the most expensive ability to master of the game, but it's so worth it. <laughs> um, I will say, I think, I think the icons, like my, my end game loadout um, during, you know, some of like the final parts of the game um, was uh, the, the, the three dominants I had equipped with their iconic feats were uh, Shiva, Bahamut, and, no, no, Shiva, Garuda, and Odin, but I had abilities equipped from uh, Phoenix, Afrit, Bahamut, uh, Titan, and Odin. So I, I kind of tried to, to keep them all in there. And if I had mastered the abilities, I would have put Ramit's ultimate ability. Um, every icon also does have an ultimate ability. Like their, their traditional ability that that icon uses um, is available as like their, their, um, their most expensive ability. And most of those are worth it and are really good abilities. So you have to put quite a few points into learning and upgrading them. But uh, I, I did think it was nice that they were all represented, except for Ifrit for some reason, even though he's somewhat, you know, kind of the, the, the central icon of this game. God, I don't know if that's too much of a spoiler. But um, <laughs> Hellfire is only used in cinematics for some reason. Go figure. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Ifrit is actually kind of a, a big point in the story as he's a second dominant of fire, which was not expected. There's only one dominant per element. So what is Ifrit? Um, and, and that's kind of one of the central mysteries of the game, which is cool. Um, and Ifrit is the one that you're going to spend the most time with in those icon battles. So, uh, yeah, yeah, we're really going to get, get, get some, uh, a lot, of, a lot of time with Afrit. Um, but yeah, I think overall Final Fantasy 16, I had a lot of fun with. It's the last game that I can, you know, put on my list of games that I completed. Uh, okay, sorry, not, not completed, beat. Because I didn't beat Final Fantasy mode. And I didn't do absolutely everything. I think maybe there might have been some lore entries I missed on. I know there was just one um, item that goes into the Hall of Memories that I didn't unlock. Um, and I didn't, there are also all these challenges that are based around each icon that you can find. There's these little stones that are inactive, but later you come back to them, and each one is actually supposed to represent one icon. And I, I came across actually only two of them. But what's really nice is that they actually let you kind of, they force you to use only certain, like one icon each, and so they, and, they, and only uh, a certain sets of abilities per each stage. Um, and I think what I liked about that is that. Uh, it did kind of actually show you the utility of some of these other skills. Um, and there were bonuses that are built into these timed encounters, which give you more time, but also kind of show off what some, some, of, some, some of the things that you can do with these abilities. Um, I guess it is kind of uh, a downer that I didn't, wasn't able to access these until late game because I think, you know, it really would have helped in the mid game. But also I'm excited about my second playthrough, about playing through Final Fantasy mode and New Game Plus. Um, and getting to try out more of these abilities and, and, and upgrading and mastering more. But I, I really did put a lot of time into Final Fantasy 16. It's the first game since uh, Tears of the Kingdom that I've done that with and did compete for, for time with, with Tears of the Kingdom, by the way. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, Final Fantasy 16, I wholly recommend. 
Um, if you're an action RPG fan, even if you're a Final Fantasy fan and you're like a fan of the older traditional stuff, I say give it a try. Again, there's a free demo, and your progress carries over. You have nothing to lose, not even your time. So um, you, if you do play through this game and you play through, it, it, it will eat up a considerable amount of time. So that's good. There is plenty to offer here. Um, and yeah, yeah, I don't know how much more there's to say uh, without going into spoilers, but gameplay, solid. The story was immaculate. Um, the performances, I didn't, yeah, I didn't talk about that, but the performances are god tier. Um, and as I understand it, this game was actually developed um, with the uh, English voice acting first and then dubbed into other languages. So instead of being originally um, acted in Japanese and then dubbed in English, um, it was actually performed in English originally. And I think that goes a long way because it's actually really, really good. Um, I will say the performances are actually by far better than uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, and, and I really, really, really enjoy that game. It's, it's, it's one of my favorite games. But um, I will say in terms of like voice performances, whew, especially Ben Starr, the voice of Clive, um, if you go watch him in interviews, he's such like an endearing person. Like, I just love him. He's, he seems like such an awesome guy. Um, and he's also a huge Final Fantasy fan and a gamer in his own right. So you have to respect the man. And his voice is just so good. Um, him, um, the actress that plays Jill, the, the Sid in this game, who is... Uh, actually, I'm not going to... I'm not, not going to spoil that. Um, but Sid, there is a Sid. And <laughs> he's also great. He's just got this great, gravelly, honey voice that's just, just, just amazing. It's so good. Um, so this is the game that I, I definitely do recommend that you play. Uh, try it out. Try out the demo. See if you like it. If you're on the fence, you know, that's that's definitely the best way to get. Because the, the demo is just like the first like couple chapters of the game. And then, like I said, your progress carries over. So you have literally nothing to lose. Um, and it's free. And you'll really get a set uh, for the tone of the game, uh, the way that the game plays. They even have an optional part of the game that like they, they go through like the first couple chapters of the game. And then they have another part which is a later story moment where they actually go ahead and equip you with three icons, um, not all of which you have during that section, mind you. Um, so you can even get kind of a sense for how the game feels a little bit later on once you have all of the icons equipped and cycling through all of their abilities. And I remember going from you know the first section of the game to that, I almost felt a little bit overwhelmed with how many abilities were at my disposal. Um, what's nice is that in the main game, you'll actually... Uh, unlock those as time goes on, so you'll get a little bit more time uh, and get to kind of feel, you know, which of those mechanics you like best. Um, but yeah, and the ending was also just so epic. Um, so many epic moments in the game, not least of which was helped by the soundtrack. Um, but I guess we'll stop here, and uh, after the break, we will move on to Ghost Trick Phantom Detective, the 2023 remaster. It has been 1,500 years since the fall of our forebears. And Valisthea has been slowly dying ever since. Almost further now. But we're in the middle of the Deadlands. The blinds suck this place dry. No trees, no birds, and no magic. Darkness spreads as day gives way to twilight. The Mother's flame now all but a flicker. We cannot live without the blessing of the crystals. 
and the crystals work their magic through us. You have been blessed, Joshua. But who shall claim their fading light? The Grand Duchy of Rosaria, bastion of tradition. At the very least, we must secure Drake's breath. The Holy Empire of San Breck, where ambition is divine. The Imperial Banner shall fly over every city in storm. All shall bow before their emperor. The Dalmechian Republic, whose fortunes shift with the desert sands. And what of our wise rulers? Goaded into war without any thought as to what chaos it might reap. The Iron Kingdom forged in faith and fear. Their souls were sullied with the stain of ether. I merely cleansed them of their corruption. Or the kingdom of Wulud, indomitable in its isolation. The dark swallows more of the realm with each passing day. And as the fringes fade, the people flock to the mother crystals. From a single spark, will the land ignite? In the year 860, the Imperial Army will march upon Rosaria. And from the slaughter shall a new shadow rise. To fall upon the dominance, painting their destinies black as night. Our ability to summon beasts of great might should command respect but instead has left us outcasts. And so I became their puppet. What makes them think they have the right to use us? To leave us to die when our bodies are spent? I'll crush him! Flay him! Uh, by the way, if you hear my box fan in the background, just fucking deal with it. <laughs> At least it's not my loud-ass AC that I had on um, in our Zelda Tears of the Kingdom Part 1 episode, which I'm never going to live down because that, that loud-ass AC is so, so audible. But I was just so much in the zone that episode that I didn't notice it. Uh, thankfully, I, I did buy a box fan, which is significantly quieter, and uh, the fan isn't nearly as loud 
and um, also does a much better job of cooling me off. And guys, it's July, and we're having, like, I think, record hot temperatures, and I'm in Texas. So, um, yeah, fuck off if uh, you're going to complain about what I don't even think is audible. I, I tested this out, and, like, I don't think over my voice you can really hear it. Anyway, Ghost Trick Fandom Detective. I came across this game somewhat recently, actually, and I learned that a remaster was coming out. So I was like, wow, perfect. So definitely got to cover it because uh, it's, an, it's another game made by uh, the creator of the Ace Attorney franchise, Shu Takami. Uh, so if you're an Ace Attorney fan like me, it's definitely a go-to. Um, I would have loved to have Bo on, at least for, for this part, because uh, I think he would really enjoy it. Uh, unlike Final Fantasy 16, which is exclusive to the PlayStation 5 right now and is a timed exclusive... Ghost Trick Phantom Detective is available on everything. So I played it primarily on Switch, um, but I did play a little bit of the demo on uh, PS5, or, but it's available for PS4. It's a PS4 game, but you can play it on PS5 uh, without uh, there being a specifically PS5-optimized version, and that's fine, because like, what else are you going to do? Um, but I, I actually did play this game prior to the remaster coming out and fell in love with it. Like, I immediately just devoted a whole bunch of time into this game. I don't feel like you can really spend more than, like, 10 to 15 hours on this game, and yet, like, every hour is so good. Um, maybe it's not a game that even is necessarily for everyone because, like the Ace Attorney games or, like, the Danganronpa series, for example, um, it's going to be significantly more narrative-focused. I mean, more akin to like a visual novel. This one is significantly less like that, I would say, but it still very much relies on a lot of text boxes. So, and like the main point of the game is its story, which is so good. One of the best stories I think I've ever played in a game. Um, if you're a fan of a lot of the twists in the uh, Ace Attorney trilogy, uh, which Shu Takami also headed, uh, Ghost Trick's going to be right up your alley. Uh, in terms of gameplay, though, uh, rather than focusing on like a murder mystery, well, it is a murder, <laughs> not, not so much a murder mystery, it, it, but it does deal with murder. Um, kind, kind of a murder mystery, because a bit of it is like, you know, watching it play out. But we'll, we'll get into the mechanics here in a bit. Um, again, without getting into spoilers, but. Less of an investigation type of game, I'll say, um, and and no no like of the none of these like courtroom segments, like your trial segments that you might expect in like Ace Attorney or, again, Danganronpa, which is kind of adjacent to that world. Um, instead, uh, the game revolt is a is is uh, played from a side scrolling perspective, um, and you actually play as a ghost. So the game opens up. Uh, you are the ghost of somebody who has forgotten their identity. Uh, they recently died, and um, they don't know who they are or, or, or why they were killed, right? So you play as Sissel, and he is trying to uncover the mystery of his death and also his identity. Um, along the way, you're going to meet several very endearing characters, not least of which is Lynn, the rookie detective, who also has a mystery of her own to uncover tonight that's inextricably linked to your own. Um, so the game takes place over the course of a single night, um, with each chapter covering a specific set of time. Um, in that very first chapter, uh, Sissel witnesses uh, not only the fact that he died, but he witnesses the death of Lynn. Uh, and he learns from a helpful desk lamp that's possessed by uh, another ghost uh, that he has these unique powers of the dead, which allows him to manipulate objects in order to um, change the outcome of events. And so uh, he can possess objects and in a poltergeist-like fashion um, 
make those objects do things. So um, you can raise and lower things. And a big part of the game is creating paths for you to move across. And later on through the game, you may even encounter other characters with slightly different ghost trick powers. But that is the, the ghost the, the, the titular ghost tricks of the game is, is possessing these objects um, and a lot of them are going to have different things that they can do um, in order to help you influence the outcome of event. The, the other thing that he discovers that he's able to do is uh, possess a person's uh, core and go back four minutes to before their death. And so he's able to not only figure out the circumstances of, of their deaths, but prevent them using ghost tricks. And so again, you're limited some, somewhat. Sissel's um, powers have limitations, but it's clearing a path for you uh, in order to move between different cores. And that, that's all the game is. You go into ghost trick mode where time is paused and you move from core to core and find different objects and you kind of play around with things. A lot of times the first thing you're going to do is just kind of play around and see um, what you can do. Uh, and, and just kind of experiment. What's nice is that uh, Sissel can go four minutes before someone's death and continually repeat that four minutes as many times as, as you like until you prevent the, the murder. So you might go through it one time and then realize you missed a critical moment. Like you might come to an object and realize, oh, you know, if a few seconds earlier, if I had hit this, um, this would have had a different outcome. And now you can go back and you can do that. And there's even little checkpoints throughout, um, which helps because... Uh, it, you'll be able to uh, <laughs> sorry I'm high uh, which helps because you can rewind to that specific section. Some parts of the game do feel a little tedious as you're having to redo parts of the game. You may even find yourself redoing the same thing over and over and over again because um, you just didn't get the timing quite right. Uh, or you'll get to a certain point and realize you did everything up to this point correct, but there's more to do. So there's a lot of trial and error involved, but I think that's kind of part of the experience and that frustration of having uh, to uh, redo parts of it. So... Um, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on a playthrough in the background here so I have something to kind of reference. I had Final Fantasy 16 going. Uh, let's see. Ghost Trick Phantom Detective playthrough. Uh, hopefully it's the uh, 2023 version. Yeah, three weeks ago. That should be it. Okay. Um, fuck you. I'm doing your survey, YouTube. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's little checkpoints which will help, you know, uh, neuter some of that frustration, but I think that's also kind of part of it. And th thankfully, the game, like the Ace Attorney series, allows you to skip through dialogue that you've seen before. Um, and, and so, you know, you, you'll find yourself re-watching the same four minutes over and over again. Uh, and you might think that, like, you know, having to do these puzzles under this time limit is going to be kind of stressful. Um, but the fact that you can redo it as many times as you want actually really helps with that um, and gives the game more of a casual feel. And like I said, you can get through it very quickly, and you're going to want to because there's so many mysteries to uncover uh, throughout the game's story. Um, and just all these twists and turns, one of the best twists I think I've ever seen in a video game by the end. Uh, I think one of the best parts of it was that I'll, I'll, I actually guessed it. Um, <laughs> I guess I saw a lot of this stuff coming and I was piecing it together. And so um, it kind of has that, that uh, mystery vibe. So uh, where you're just kind of piecing together things. I guess I should say it, it, it very much is a murder mystery because the entire game is solving the murder of yourself, right? 
It's just that each of these individual sections, um, you, you find out who the culprit is right away because you get to watch the death happen um, over and over again. But <laughs> it's specifically determining like how you can prevent these things. And it's really addictive. And God, I want to see more Ghost Trick Phantom Detective um, because this was such a good game. And Shutakabi is a fucking genius. Uh, I really hope that this uh, remaster, which came out, I mean, the original game came out, what, in... Uh, I want to say 20, 2010, actually. Okay. I was going to say 2012. 2010. Um, and so now we're in 2023. So it's been yeah 13 years since the original game's release. Kind of weird because this is one of those games that was heavily praised when it came out, but it came out at the end of the Nintendo DS's life cycle. This originally came out on the DS um, and was kind of overlooked. In fact, I only found out about it because I was such a huge fan of the Ace Attorney series. But um, it, it's such a, it's one of those like hidden gems, and so I'm kind of surprised. I was surprised to find out that a remaster was coming out, um, but I was highly anticipating this, and I, I feel like I'm the only person that I know personally that's actually like knows about this game and was anticipating it. Um, but I really hope that this is like the the uh, that this is the entry point to the gateway to there being another. Uh, Ghost Trick game. I mean, I know at one point she talked to me, was talking about the possibility of actually a uh, crossover between the Ace Attorney and the Ghost Trick franchises. Um, and that could be really, really cool. I, I would love to see that. Um, just kind of like, like they did with Ace Attorney and uh, Professor Layton. And it doesn't even have to be canon, obviously. But I mean, it's not like any of the, the uh, powers of this game really contradict <laughs> Ace Attorney canon with, um, you know, the spirits and whatnot. Are you taking a gulp of beer there? But Ghost Trick Phantom Detective uh, was a game that really stood out to me. Uh, the iOS port is actually not too bad, but I highly recommend getting um, this remaster port. And again, like with Final Fantasy 16, there's a demo available, and it covers the first couple chapters of the game, and it allows you to carry your progress over to the main game. So again, if you're on the fence and you don't know whether you want to try this out or you haven't really gotten a big good picture from my description of it, seriously, just try it. I feel like that's the best way is just try out the demo and see what this game is like, and you'll really get the feel for it. Because, I mean... The game is pretty consistent in terms of um, gameplay and story throughout. Just It just gets better, and the, the, the challenges get harder. As a remaster, uh, this is near perfect. Uh, this is exactly what you want to see. In fact, there's very little that's changed. It, 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 it's, it's faithful, almost too faithful, um, <laughs> because the game is, is, is pretty much the exact same game, just upscaled um, and with um, a few extra features, which we'll get into. Um, but it, it, it's, it's barely been touched, and that's good. That makes this actually a very good remaster. This is the definitive way to play this game. Um, it is a little bit weird that uh, they didn't change the game's aspect ratio. So kind of like with some of the like older games, uh, that you might see emulated on the Nintendo Switch, for instance, uh, on Nintendo Switch Online. Um, the game actually plays in its original aspect ratio. Uh, it was not converted to widescreen, but they, the two bars on the side are actually useful. So um, the minutes before death counter as well as the hourglass are displayed on the sides of the screen. And I believe even the background of those borders are uh, can be changed as you unlock more uh, illustrations or extras in the game. But I barely noticed them after a while. It's just, I guess it probably would have, it might have been nice if the entire game was set to widescreen, at least during, you know, some of like the 
just story sections, just the dialogue. Um, kind of weird that they couldn't widescreen the game, even though they did effectively use the borders. Um, they really didn't need to be there. I mean, I feel like this game could have easily been converted, but it, it's a minor complaint. I feel like it's it's the only thing I'm going to complain about here. Um, is that uh, yeah? Is that is that the game is it's in its original aspect ratio. Um, I played this on the Nintendo Switch, and I mostly played it in handheld mode. Um, I also played a little bit of this game. Um, yeah, I think I think I mentioned this already. I played a little bit uh, the demo on the PS5, and both play very well. Um, what was nice about the Switch and playing in handheld mode specifically is that you do get to kind of play with the touchscreen controls that I was used to in the mobile port, um, uh, and similar to the way that the game played on the uh, DS, I imagine. Um, but the game works just as well even without the touchscreen controls. So, uh, and even like the, the the extra screen that the DS had, they were able to use here. Same thing with the mobile port. I mean, they just kind of uh, incorporated it into the UI onto one screen. So when you possess an object, I think originally there was a screen dedicated to showing you what that object would do, um, and also have like the counters and what the counter and the hourglass and whatnot. But now all of that, you know, those elements are on the bars and um, just a little inlay pops up giving you information about the object and what it can do whenever you possess it. So again, the game translated extremely well. So it really makes me hopeful to see a sequel to the original game uh, on a uh, on modern consoles. And you can play this anywhere. It's on uh, PlayStation, Xbox, uh, Switch, PC, I believe. Uh, I'd like to see actually how this game plays on PC. Um, because it, it does play somewhat like a like a point and click adventure game, uh, so I I wonder like like can you just kind of like mouse over and, and click on objects in order to possess them as long as they're within reach? Um, Sissel does have actually kind of a limited range, so and that's kind of one of the, uh, the 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 limitations of his ghost trick powers and what's you know kind of the challenge. But um, yeah, each level, each chapter of the game is essentially a puzzle. Um, some of these are just are just literally just get from point A to point B to get to the next story moment, and so sometimes it's literally just like yeah, let's just kind of try to get a path to this to this next place, but um, other times obviously you're gonna be uh, <laughs> you're you're gonna be preventing deaths, and then that's kind of like that's kind of like what the courtroom segments are to Ace Attorney, right? It's like the, the the ghost trick sections, the part where you go four minutes to someone's death, um, and it's like the, I feel like the more I say about it, the more I'm going to spoil. Like, and this game is really best played, but it, it really gets to really cool levels. And there's even some kind of inception moments with the whole four minutes before death thing. I think you can see where I'm going with this. Um, it, it gets really cool and really complicated. Um, I remember playing through this. I was playing through this game for the second time, obviously. Um, and uh, I, it was actually interesting, even though I played the game somewhat recently, um, how much of the game like I forgot and how much like the little plot moments um, was nice, but I was also kind of able, knowing some things in advance, I could kind of see what was happening and really understand the story on another layer. So um, this game does have some replayability, although the uh, puzzle solutions, of course, are, are they're, they're very, um, the game itself is very linear and the puzzle solutions are straightforward and there's not like multiple different ways to do things. Um, like with Ace Attorney, there is a specific solution to everything. So for some people, you know, there might be a little bit of lost replayability. But what's nice is that the game lets you, once you, you know, or at any point, yeah, after, after you finish each chapter, you can go back and you can replay just specific chapters. Uh, and they've added these different challenges, which are kind of like achievements. And I imagine that, you know, on the, the other console versions of this game, there there's going to be achievements as well. So um, 
you may want to go back to a chapter and complete something, you know, in the most efficient way, uh, and uh, and unlock one of those one of those achievements, or 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 fail in a certain way, which is nice. Um, there are also a lot of like uh, unlockables. So there's illustrations that you can collect, soundtracks. Um, so you can play now and listen to any of the soundtracks in the game. By the way, which are fantastic, both the original and the remaster, both are offered here. So um, during the, the play of the game or in the extra section, you can listen to both the original and remixed arrangements. I will say the remixed arrangements are actually better. Um, they did a really good job of playing tracks that really feel and sound just like the originals, but just have more depth to them um, and, and really sound less synthesized and more uh, instrumental. And, and you can kind of just feel... Um, like, like depth is really the best way to describe it. And what's funny is I remember playing through this and recognizing the tracks... But when I, when I actually kind of compared the two and was swapping between the original and the remixed versions, I could see how much better they made these tracks. But if you're a fan of the original um, soundtracks, you can play it. I mean, there's really no downgrade to this version. Um, the visuals look just like they do in the, in the original game, just clearer and crisper, uh, you know, with the potential of a better or of a bigger or brighter screen. Um, you can really actually see these in more detail. Um, the characters and the way that they move, there's just something really odd and whimsical about it. I mean, there's a, there's a particular character in the game, a detective, who is um, just kind of like dancing around all of the time. And he's, he's one of the best characters. Um, there's a dog who is also a best boy. His name is Missile. He's based on a real-life Pomeranian named Missile. Um, and the uh, dog... Uh, who, who actually was named after the dog missile in uh, Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney. Uh, the composer for this game is actually the same composer for the first Phoenix Wright Ace Attorney game, by the way, which, is, in my opinion, is my favorite Ace Attorney soundtrack. So I think that's why I really jived. Um, both of these games that we're talking about this episode have fantastic soundtracks. And I'm trying to figure out like how I'm going to do like the outro on this because like, I kind of want to include both because <laughs> they're so fucking good. Um, but yeah, Ghost Trick, uh, Phantom Detective, wholly recommend. Again, go check out the demo of the game if you're on the fence about it because you'll get a sense for how the game plays and you've got nothing to lose, not even your time because all of your progress will carry over. Although strangely enough, um, the, uh, the two chapters, like, like it'll let you move on and play to the third chapter, but they won't show up as completed. So now I, I need to go back and like replay chapter one and chapter two just so it'll show up in my game is completed. But I mean, I feel like I'm very close to what would you could consider 100% completion for this game. Um, another extra that they added also, which was actually kind of a disappointment because I saw this section called go, uh, Ghost Puzzles and I thought, ooh, new puzzles to solve. Like, this is really cool. So, but they don't unlock until you complete the game once. So I played all the way to the end and then I found out that they're just slide puzzles, which I mean, if you like slide, slide puzzles, um, you might enjoy that. I mean, mileage is going to vary, but it just kind of feels like, you know, just kind of something else that's tacked on. But again, I mean, the, the core element of this game is just the fact that the original game has been, you know, preserved and faithfully reproduced for a broader audience now. Um, and bringing this game to a, bit, to, uh, a modern audience and uh, uh, paving the way for a sequel. I really, really, really would love to see another game in this franchise. I'm really excited about it. But, Yeah.
So, again, go check out these games. I wholeheartedly recommend you at least go download the demo for both of them uh, and give that a shot. Unless you listen through those and you really thought, nah, that doesn't sound like my thing. Um, I feel like Ghost Trick is one of those games, though, in particular. Like, you, you really should just try it. Um, and I feel like a lot of the complaints you might have about Final Fantasy 16 um, might be assuaged by at least just giving it a shot and understanding that it's different. It's not a traditional Final Fantasy game. We haven't had that since 10, I guess. You know? Uh, but even so, like, we had 10 of those mainline games and so many uh, spinoffs and, and other games in the series that it's like, yeah, it's okay to have something else. But yeah, go check them out uh, and play through the first couple chapters of each respective game and uh, then go play the full game because your progress will carry over once you decide to buy it. Um, Final Fantasy 16 obviously is uh, your typical $70 new game, so that's that's going to be a little bit more of a venture, but uh, it is worth it, uh, the amount of time that you get out of it. Uh, I think Ghost Trick is going for what, like 30, 40 bucks. It's super cheap. So like, yeah. And, and, and I think that that's actually a really good price for what it is um, and how much enjoyment and time you're going to get out of it. Uh, one of these games is going to suck up a lot of your time should you choose to invest it. And the other one is a short and sweet adventure um, that actually leaves you wanting a lot more <laughs> because it's so good. Um, both are really good. If you enjoyed this episode, uh, make sure you let us know. Leave feedback on your platform of choice. A five-star review on Apple Podcasts goes a long way. Uh, you can also uh, check us out and rate us on Podchaser. Um, if you uh, you want to support us, you can check out our Patreon, where we have uh, exclusive Let's Play video game commentaries. Uh, I'd love to get those going again once I get a setup. Uh, I just need to buy a new capture card. But, uh, yeah. Maybe Bo can help out with that a bit, too. I know he's doing some streaming. Uh, and look forward to more live streams and whatnot as we get an opportunity to do them. If you're... Uh, as far as, like, uh, gameplay, like some of these games, I know we have some things coming up. Um, we're going to be doing the great Ace Attorney Chronicles next season. So uh, another Shu Takami game that he was heavily involved in, or, or set of games, duology. Um, I don't think we're doing any Final Fantasy games. I'm trying to think if we're doing anything that's like even in like an RPG. I, I thought about doing Final Fantasy. It was definitely like one of the, the suggestions, but um, at the end of the day, uh, we, we kind of uh, all picked our, our episodes and, and we're finalizing our season now. So uh, season six of, or season five of Collateral Gaming was a great time. We ended with. Uh, the Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and we're going to be starting up Season 6 with um, Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to be doing a two-part uh, special on uh, Spider-Man PS4 and Spider-Man Miles Morales. Uh, and then October, we're going to be doing uh, kind of a... Uh, going to our spooky month and, and dis discussing um, horror games as we do. Uh and uh, I believe we, we have slated is uh, Dino Crisis and Resident Evil 3 as our numbered episodes that month. Um, instead of one two-part episode, we're going to cover both of those. And then uh, we're, our Halloween special is going to be Silent Hill 4. Uh, and we'll have some kind of uh, Halloween 
themed uh, bonus round as well. Hopefully uh, some more bonus round content between now and then two. And then uh, in November, uh, Spider-Man 2 is going to be our our numbered episode for the month. Uh, That King comes out toward the end of October. So part one in November will be our spoiler-free review. And then part two, we're going to get into full spoilers uh, like we did with Zelda, like we did with God of War Ragnarok um, and and other games, Metroid Dread and, and the past. But yeah, that's what you can kind of expect um, from our itinerary through uh, November. In fact, through the rest of the year, uh, December um, will be our uh, Zelda month. So we'll go ahead and get. We're going to be doing Oracle of Ages and Oracle of Seasons as a two-part special, uh, and then our um, our holiday special will be on uh, the Grinch video game. Yeah. So i am really excited for the upcoming season of collateral gaming we definitely have some bangers in store uh for our fine listeners and so thank you for listening to me rant about these games for a little over an hour Uh, i know that it's not as exciting without dialogue between multiple people but uh i really wanted to talk about these two games especially since i spit time on them (laughs) especially final fantasy 16 uh that's the game that has been kind of sucking up my time recently and I'm glad for it you know it wasn't something like Anthem where I had to uh, you know or Sonic 06 (laughs) but thank you for listening and uh, you can find Collateral Gaming wherever you get your podcasts wherever you're listening Uh, we are also on Podbean Apple Podcasts Spotify Google uh, even on YouTube Uh, before the next season starts up I'd like to make sure that all of our YouTube content this season is updated so that uh, all of our YouTube listeners can still uh, access it. But I guess that's it for now. I have been Ashley Chancellor. This is Collateral Gaming. We are out.
Collateral Gaming is a collateral media podcast. All music and game clips are owned by their respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.